Jesus, we thank you that you did rise from the dead, that you did come out of that grave, that you did decide that you wanted to come and do that for us. And Jesus, we're just so grateful that you hung on that cross in our place and that we can be resurrected in your name. God, I just pray for eyes to see and ears to hear for every single person in the room tonight. And I pray that you would just be here among us and that you would be honored by what we're doing here. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody, just wait. Hold on, everybody. Um, all the students in the room, what I want you to do is I want you to come down front here with me. If you uh, go to a school that ends in an HS, I would like you to come down front here with me, okay? And I want to, we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. <clears throat> so make your way down here. And then I want to invite you to just take a seat right where you're at. I don't, I don't want anybody on a couch. I don't want anybody... If you're an adult, you can sit on a couch or a beanbag, but I don't want any of the students in a couch or in a beanbag, and, and we're going to do things a little bit differently tonight. You know, most, most weeks we, we usually end worship, and then we take our seats, and we play the video, and we change the atmosphere completely, and that's, that's good. That has merit, and, and there's a space for that. There's a space for us to go back to the seats and be ready to listen, but what we're sitting in right now is a posture of worship. What we're sitting in right now is an atmosphere of worship. And the word that I feel like God has for us tonight, it's, it's really important that we stay in this place. So I know like I'm normally the jokes guy. I'm normally like I like to laugh and have fun. And, and tonight it's going to look a little bit differently. Tonight it's going to be a little bit more serious. And, and I like to laugh and have fun too. But I feel like there's a weight that God has for us right now. There's, there's a weight on what it is we're going to do. And so as you guys heard earlier tonight, next week is our Bring Your Friend Night. Right? And how many of you have been to one of our Bring Your Friend Nights before? Just, just by show of hands. Tons of you. And you know how it works. We, we make it really fun. It's really cool. And those have been successful. And, and every, every time we do a Bring Your Friend Night, the week before, we do a sermon on how to invite your friends to church or something called evangelism. And it is my favorite thing to preach on teaching you guys how to invite your friends to church, teaching you guys how to tell people about Jesus makes my heart come alive. It is what I was born to do. But, but tonight, tonight feels different. Tonight feels, tonight feels different. And this year I was, I was praying about what we should, what, what we should do. What should I say? You know, I've, I've preached a bunch of different ways. How do we invite our friends to church? What does it look like? And, and I, I was like, God, I'm out of ideas. What do you think? And, and this year's Bring Your Friend Night feels heavier than normal. It feels like there's more at stake this time. It feels like this year it's more than just a fun night to win prizes. This one feels like it could change everything. I'm sure you guys have noticed we've, we've had much more move of God in this room recently. Our, our worship has gone longer. Our worship has been more passionate. We've had nights where we had a sermon prepared and all of a sudden God wanted to do something different and we went with it. And if you've been in big church on Sundays, you know the same thing is happening. God is moving in this church and in this place. And the reason that is, is we are on the clock. You see, the earth has an expiration date. There is an end to what it is we are living in. And, and in these last days, the Bible says God will pour his spirit out. He'll pour it out on men and women alike. He will pour it out on every person who has breath in their lungs that is willing to hear from God. And I feel like that's what God wants us to do. That's what God wants us to go after is his, his raw manifest presence. But there's some things that we have to do before we can get there.
So we're gonna, we're gonna look at a story in the Bible of a man named Josiah. And Josiah was a king in the Old Testament and his story is crazy. And we're gonna pick it up in 2 Kings 22, right off the top. And it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. His mother was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah from Bozkath. And he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor, David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. Now that second verse, verse two, is particularly important here because Josiah's father and his grandfather were two of the most evil and wicked kings to ever rule in Israel. They were, they were horrible. They did horrible things. They, they, they worshiped idols that were not of God. They, they practiced pagan practices, which are evil and ugly. And so the fact that, that Josiah became king and he is mentioned as being a good, righteous person who follows God is amazing. That means Josiah overcame generational evil and wickedness and he led Israel from a position of fearing God. And this would have been controversial. This would have been radical because the, what's happening in history or in the Bible around this point in time where Josiah has become king is the nation of Israel has been in exile, which means that they were captured by the Babylonians and they were carried away to another land. In Jerusalem, the capital lay empty and dormant. And pagans came in and they took over the city and they set up shrines to other gods on the altar of God, just like this one. You guys remember a few weeks back, we talked about repentance and what that means and what this, this altar represents. This is where we come before God and we sacrifice ourselves to him. We sacrifice our time, our, our reputation. We sacrifice our, our, how we look to our friends and worship at the altar of God. And so these pagans, they set up all kinds of ugly idols in the temple. And so the nation of Israel is back in Jerusalem now and they're working on rebuilding. And, and Josiah is king here. And the lack of pursuit of God and love for him has gotten so bad through the years that the nation of Israel, the children of God, literally lost the Bible. And not in like a metaphorical way, like they lost sight of it. They did that too, but they physically lost the scriptures. And, it, and, and they couldn't find it anywhere. And it wasn't like today where you could just go to Barnes and Noble and get a Bible. They only had a few copies and they were all handwritten. And so they were protected and they were passed down from generation to generation and they were kept sacred and safe in the temple and they lost it. They neglected the temple and their relationship with God to the point that they no longer knew who he was. Second Kings 22, eight says, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan and he read it, and, which is awesome. They found it, it's all good. But, but think about that. They lost the holy and sacred scriptures. They lost sight of what God was doing to, for them, who God was to them. They, they didn't know who God was. They lost sight of what was important. And doesn't that sound like our world today? I mean, how many of us know people that we interact with every day who are nonchalant about God or indifferent towards God or full out reject Jesus and religion and the concept altogether? And they call you weak for believing in something or they call you a bigot or they call you some, some mean and nasty name because you're, you're ignorant or you're outdated because you don't believe in, in all of these crazy things that we should be allowed to do whatever we want because we uphold the Bible as our foundation. 
this is the world that Josiah lived in. And he was eight years old when he became king. I mean, imagine being eight years old and becoming president. How well would you do that job? <laughs> you, know, I, you know what I was doing at eight, year old, eight years old? Not preparing for geopolitical leadership. You know, I, I, he was eight years old. And so Josiah, in his 18th year of reign, which means he was 26 years old, he hears, they read the word of God. They find it and they read it in the temple to all, to the king. And he is distraught. He is upset. And he is so upset that he tears his clothes in disbelief. He, he's visibly and physically mourning and upset because the nation of Israel has not been upholding the law of God and God's wrath and judgment was coming against them because this is before Jesus came to earth where Jesus paid for all that but this was when the wrath of God was still active and so Josiah ends up sending his officials to the temple and to go read the Bible the word to all the people share it with them so that we can make things right God said you know what you guys you messed up and I'm mad about it but because Josiah because Josiah, this young man, was repentant. I will spare Israel. Josiah then goes on to lead religious reform in the country. And what that means is he turned the entire country, the entire nation, away from following pagan idols, worshiping basically demons, back to God. And he started by recommitting and reestablishing the covenant between Israel and God. And that just means that they made a commitment to each other because the nation of Israel had always had a covenant with God and God had always had a covenant with them, which means I'll protect you if you worship me. And Israel failed time and time again at that. And yet God still forgave them because of the righteousness of one man. He then went around and he rebuilt the temple. He rebuilt it back to its glory so it would be a house of the God. He ordered the high priest and the priest to go and remove all of the idols from the temple and then train the rest of the priests throughout the country to do the same. Josiah went around from village to village to their temples, to their altars, and tore down the pagan shrines. And the Bible says that he didn't just tear them down, he desecrated them, which means he tore them down with anger because the things that were not of God angered him. And then finally, Josiah led the whole nation of Israel through the first Passover celebration in hundreds of years. Guys, next week is Passover. And Passover is a celebration of when God spared the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. And the, the angel of death came and passed over them, one of those crazy plagues. And God spared the children of Egypt or the children of Israel. And so they celebrate this every year right before Easter. And it's no, it's no surprise that God wanted this word for tonight, a week before Passover. But there's an important detail here that I want us to catch. Josiah was young. He was 26 years old, not much older than some of you in this room. And he changed a nation, an entire country. And he didn't think to himself, man, when I'm in my 50s, I will do that. When I'm in my 50s, I will get to that point. He didn't wait. He acted right then. And the truth is, 4640 high school students, you, you have an opportunity to turn a generation away from hell. You do. What we do here at 4640 as pastors is important. 
It's, it's my life's calling. It's exactly what God made me to do. But the opportunity to turn the generation around you back to God, away from hell, is yours. The people you interact with every day, classmates, family, teachers, teammates, I would wager a good chunk of them either don't know Jesus or don't care about him. And the trouble is this generation of lost people out in the world, they are hungry for what Jesus has to offer them, but, but they don't either, they either they don't know him or they don't know how to go about it or they need the invitation to come back. James 5, 19 and 20 says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back from wandering will save that person from death. This generation is out there looking. They're looking for God. And they may not realize it, but that's what they're doing. They're searching for love from anyone who will give it to them. They're searching for acceptance in any community or people group that will, will fly a flag over them. They're searching for community in anywhere that will open its doors to them. The trouble is, is none of those places are Jesus. But that's exactly what this building is for. This room, these people right here, this is community. This is love. This is acceptance. This is what those people need. And they're wandering around looking for meaning, looking for love, and they're looking for healing. And I believe that God is saying that this, you, young people right here in the room, are the Josiah generation. The, the generation that will turn these lost people from hell back to God. Josiah is a Hebrew name, and it means whom Jehovah heals. Jehovah is just another name for God. The word Josiah means whom God will heal. And I believe it applies to you in your actions, and I believe it applies to the people that you interact with every day, that God will heal them. But in order for us to heal this generation, in order for God to move in a mighty way and heal these people, they have to realize that there's a problem or a need to be healed. But, my, but many of us Christians, myself included, we struggle with calling out the truth in other people. We struggle with, with telling people about Jesus because, because what? It's uncomfortable? It's scary? You know, I, I think we're held back by being too nice. It seems like when we're Christians, we should be these overly nice, kind, accepting people. And I'm not saying go around and be a jerk, but a lot of us would rather be nice than be holy. You see, friends, we must pursue God. We must uphold his word in our lives if we want to see a generation healed. Because in life, we don't get what we want. We get what we tolerate. And the attack of the enemy is to keep us quiet and to tolerate sin, sin in our own hearts, sin in the hearts of our family, sin in the hearts of people around us. And we feel like we can't 
call out sin in ourselves, or we can't call out sin in our friends who used to go to church who don't anymore, or we can't talk to lost people about Jesus because we struggle with our own sin, whether it's sexual immorality or lust or drinking or lying, whatever the sin may be, chances are we have struggled with it ourselves. And the fact is that we may have our own sin struggles and it creates a fear of being a hypocrite in us. Has anybody ever called you a hypocrite? Good. It means you're in the right place. There's not a single person in this room who has not been hypocritical, who has not claimed to be a Christian one minute and messed up the next. And the lost people in the world will call that inconsistent. They will call that hypocrisy and they will be mad at it. But the truth is, this is a hospital for the sick and the broken and those who need healing. And the doors are open, but they don't know where to go. And maybe we're afraid that because I'm not perfect, they won't love Jesus. Or maybe, maybe because I struggle, they won't be captivated by a God who gave up his life for theirs. Friends, sinful or not, we are not that powerful. John 14, 6 says, Jesus told them, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus, he's the only way. So we cannot get in his way. Now, don't get me wrong. We don't go around to people who don't know Jesus and absolutely light them up and let them have it. That will not get them in the doors. We open the door by talking to them with kindness and love and dignity. And we invite them to church. We ask them questions about their family. We ask them about what they believe. And we, we have a conversation with them. We build a relationship with them. So that way, when the time comes for us to speak with honesty and with firmness, that we have a relationship to stand up against. The door is open through our willingness to share our faith. And the goal of the enemy in the world is to privatize your faith. Or in other words, you can believe whatever you want to, but keep it to yourself. Isn't it ironic that the most deceived group of people in the world right now is being labeled as woke? They aren't awake. They're numbed. And they're unconscious to the truth of who Jesus is. And we need a generation to stand up and say, enough is enough. Turn your hearts towards God. A generation that will stand and say that morality is not relative, that truth is not subjective, and that love does in fact have boundaries, and that any identity outside of the work on the cross of Christ is not from him. And so I sit before you in this moment, passionately speaking, because I believe that generation is right here in this room. That generation that will stand up and say, I am sorry that you're hurting. I am sorry that you were abused. I am sorry that you are broken and that you've been oppressed. Come and meet Jesus, the living water, the only one who can heal. There's a pastor out of New York City. New York City is one of the most progressive cities in the world, one of the most secular cities in the world. And he says, if you live in a time of decline spiritually, you have to war against mediocrity. It cannot be enough that we come to 4640 once a week. 
It cannot be enough that we have a Bible gathering dust in our room. It cannot be enough that we hear Caleb in our mom's car occasionally. If we are going to answer this call, this call of Generation Josiah, we have to recover worship just like Josiah did. We have to tear down the idols in our life. We have to make worship a priority in our hearts and we have to pour out who we are, turning ourselves inside out to let God know that he is number one in our lives. We have to recover the word of God as a foundation in our lives. We have to recover the church Weekly church attendance can't be enough. We have to be the church. We have to show the people who Jesus is in our actions and in our words, knowing that we are not perfect, but he is. And that is how that generation will be healed. Remember, Josiah means the one whom Jehovah heals. So what do we do then? We go out. And we live a life centered around Jesus. We pray. We study his word. We share our testimony with those around us. We stand for holiness, especially with other believers. And we bring people to church, anyone and everyone. We have a class or a service for anyone and anyone here at Fellowship Church, whether it's Tuesday nights for high school, Wednesday nights for middle school, Sunday mornings, 9 and 11 for people so that they can encounter God in a way that is safe. There are people all over this building every day who want nothing more than somebody to encounter Jesus. This isn't just another run of the mill, bring your friends to church message. This is a call. This is a lifelong generational call to turn the tide around you back to God. And I believe that those of you in this room are up to the task. It was no accident that you're in this room tonight. It was, it was not by chance that you just happened to come to 4640. This is an appointment set by God. I have a picture here. It's called the Atacama Desert in Chile and is the driest place on earth. Out of the whole earth, that spot right there has the least amount of water ever. What's crazy though is under the soil there, there are 200 species of wildflowers that lay dormant. They're just there. Those seeds are planted, they're ready, but they never get any water so they don't bloom. But every now and again, a massive storm will roll through and it'll give 10 years worth of rain in 10 hours and then this happens. That is the same desert. They call it a super bloom. Your peers, your family, your friends, your teachers, your coworkers, your boss, these people in your lives who don't know Jesus, they are the seeds lying dormant under the earth, the driest place on earth, the driest people on earth, disconnected from God, longing for love, longing for purpose, and searching for it in all the wrong places. They are starved for the living water of Christ. They don't need another social cause. They don't need another ally. They don't need coddling. They need Jesus. John 4, 13 through 14 says, Jesus replied, anyone 
who drinks this water will soon be thirsty again. Speaking of water, just normal water we drink every day. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Like Jesus said, if they were to drink the water of the world, they might bloom for a second, but they would wither and they would become thirsty again. But if they received the living water of Jesus, they would bloom permanently. And if they were to get the water that they need, the living water, we would see a super bloom, a revival, an awakening that would change the world forever and eternity. And next week, it's bring your friend night. And most of you have been, and and you know how it works. And that night, we make a concentrated effort to teach people who Jesus was, what he did on the cross for them, and that the free gift of salvation is for them too. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter what you're doing right now. What matters is, is you tell Jesus, I am done being the Lord of my own life. I am done leading my own path. And I need you, Jesus, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. And we acknowledge that he died on the cross so that he can pay the price for our sins. Because the truth is, every single person in this room is a sinner. Not was, is. It doesn't matter if you're perfect. It doesn't matter if you have it figured out. It doesn't matter if you still struggle with pornography or same-sex attraction or anger or lying or stealing. It doesn't matter. All that matters is we have accepted Jesus on the cross and he paid the price for our sins. And if we will repent daily and pick up his cross and follow him, he is with us. So tomorrow, next week, It's a great opportunity to start, to get your friends in the door, to meet Jesus, just to give them the opportunity. They may not answer. They may not accept him, and that's okay. Our job isn't their salvation. Our job is to say, yes, Lord, I will invite them. They need a Josiah to stand up to a complacent and desolate people and say, come all who are weary and take up the yoke of Jesus. And I wonder, Is there anyone in the room tonight who will answer the call? Is there anyone in the room who will lead the lost around them? Is there anyone among us who will talk to that friend in algebra who is depressed and without hope? Is there anyone in here who will invite that girl in your speech class who is trying to heal a father wound by sleeping around? Will you be the Josiah in the land God has you in right now and lead the people back to him. There's a story in Genesis of a man named Abraham. And Abraham was a friend of God and God was a friend of Abraham, which means God talked to Abraham just like I'm talking to you right now. One day, God and Abraham are staring over a couple cities named Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah are noted to be one of the most wicked cities in all of biblical history, the most evil that was happening there. But but what's crazy is Sodom and Gomorrah, life was normal. They were getting married. They were buying houses. Business was good. People were having fun. They were eating and drinking and celebrating. Life seemed good on the outside, but behind closed doors, there was no God. And so God says to Abraham, I got to take them out. 
They're wicked. They're pulling people away from me. I have to destroy those cities. And Abraham says, whoa, 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 God, hold on. Would you spare Sodom and Gomorrah if we found 50 righteous people? 50. And God says, yeah, I'll do that. I'll spare him if I can find 50. And, and, and Abraham starts to think about it. And he goes, well, how about 40? And he barters all the way down to 10. And Abraham has this somber recognition that there's not even 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. I wonder, can we change that tide? Because the world seems a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah right now. It seems a lot like there's no God out there in the world. And I wonder, can we be the ones who go out and are the righteous people? Not look for them, but become them and create more righteous people around us and bring others to know Jesus so that they can do the same. And that is how the gospel spreads. And that is how the world is saved from the kingdom of hell. Is us leading people to Jesus. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. So I want everybody to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to open your heart to Jesus right now. Open up your, your eyes and your ears and your heart to what it is the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you. Because he's calling you every single one of you no matter where you're at no matter where you're at in your walk with Jesus maybe you're brand new to the faith maybe you don't know Jesus at all maybe you've known him since you were a baby and he's saying who will go for me who will be a prophet to these people who will lead these people to me is it you Will you answer the call of this generation of Josiah? Will you be the person who stands up and says enough is enough and I'm taking back my friends from the kingdom of hell? Will you be the one? Maybe you're thinking, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to pray for somebody. I don't know how to study scripture. I don't know. I don't know what it is you want me to do. But I'm willing. God always makes a way when we will partner with him in obedience. He always does. So if you've decided that that's you, I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to answer the call and I am going to walk across the hallway to that kid I see every day, that kid I sit next to every day, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, I'm gonna answer the call and I'm gonna be the one who changes a generation. I want you to think of who that is. Listen for who, who the Holy Spirit is telling you, who that is right now. And then I want to challenge you. I want you to pray for an opportunity. For God to present an opportunity, an open door for you to talk to them about Jesus. And then when it comes, answer the call. 
me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you for the people in this room that will change the world. For the generation in this world that will change the trajectory of eternity. I thank you for the the generation in this room who, who will stand up to the status quo. Who will answer the call of the Josiah generation and bring the lost to your home, God. I thank you for them. And God, I pray that this wouldn't just be a moment. This wouldn't just be a temporary, awesome speech that they heard. That this wouldn't just be a day where they remember, oh man, church was really good that week. But this would be a calling. And that people would answer and they would walk out the rest of the days of their life knowing that they are yours. And that you are working in them. That you are working through them. And that the gates of hell will not prevail against the word of God exercised through this group of people right here. God, I pray for obedience in them. I pray for an anointing in them. And I pray for boldness and for faith and hunger in them. God, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of where we walked away from you. Help us to walk back towards you and do what it is you've called us to do. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask one more time. Will you answer the call? Because they need it. And if not you, who? Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center podcast. For more information on what's happening at 4640, you can check us out on social media or our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights, and we hope to see you there.